0: And I'm going to bring you a short Bible reading this week after a very long one last week where we heard of the reading of the 5,000 and some of the hard teaching of Jesus. Um, Where after that teaching, many people actually turned away, and we take up here at verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him.
1: My name is Becky, if I haven't met you before. And welcome back to those who've been away. Well, I wonder if you've ever had an aha moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? That when you have a sudden realisation or insight or a significant breakthrough where before there was a kind of fuzziness or a frustration in your understanding about something. There have been some really significant aha moments. Think about Isaac Newton, when he realises that the apple falling is being drawn by the same force as the moon orbiting. Or what about Tony Watson, do you know who I'm talking about? Tones and I, who one day, while she walked into work, realised that she was actually jealous of the buskers outside, so quit her job, left her rental, moved into her van, and started singing and songwriting and busking. And her hit, Dance Monkey, is that right? This is for the young people. (laughs) Dance Monkey was released last year and became the number one hit in 30 countries. Uh Aha. And what about Ingvar Kampard? Do you know who I'm talking about? He had to move his table in his car and it wouldn't fit. So he took off the legs of the table and started IKEA. Uh Aha right? Well, the disciple Peter has an aha moment in the reading today. We'll do a little bit of a recap because we started this chapter of John, John chapter 6, last January and we returned to it last week and some of you weren't here and Colleen's already filled us in a bit, but I'm going to give you a little bit of it. At the start of chapter 6, we realise that Jesus has attracted a huge following. Thousands of people are gathering to hear him. He miraculously feeds them. He provides bread and fish for over 5,000 people from just a couple of loaves and a few fish. Incredible. A wonderful moment. And then what happens next is that Jesus puts them off quite deliberately. He challenges them. Why exactly are you following me, he wants to know. What are you hoping for from me? Were they hungering for prosperous times, more bread, more miracles? Were they hoping for a political figure to stand up for them, someone who was going to be an answer to their oppression under the Romans? Who was Jesus to them? He wants them to be clear and he wants them to know what his mission is and what he's about. And so last Sunday we hear him tell the people that the food they need Is himself. I am the bread of life, he said. You are to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said that plainly, a gross and provocative statement. And to a faithful Jew, who many of the people would have been, an unholy and unclean, unthinkable thing to say. Jesus knows what he's doing here. He wasn't being literal. But even for those who could get past the metaphor, to hear him say, I have to be the center of your life. You need me like bread and water. You cannot exist or thrive or be revived apart from me. This was too much for most people on that day. This is a hard teaching, they said. Who can accept it? Not many, as it turned out. They walked away and Jesus said, he asked a question. Jesus asked a lot of questions. Does this offend you? He asked. Yeah. Yes, it did. It offended many people. And he's left with a very small gathering. And in this little passage we've had, he's just talking to the 12. There's probably more than just the 12. I always want to say there's probably some women there. The other, the, there are other disciples around. But we often hear Jesus talking to the 12. And um, it's a lot less than 5,000. And he asks them another question. And I keep emphasising the questions because when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus asks a lot of questions. And it's because he wants a response. He doesn't just tell people, this is how it is and this is what you need to do. He asks them to respond. And some people have walked away in response. And now he's challenging the twelve. You do not want to leave me too, he asks. And what would they be thinking after all that's happened? Well, Peter looks at Jesus, this 30-something guy from Nazareth who he's been listening to and watching for some time, and he says to him in an aha moment, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Bing, bing, bing in his head. (laughs) Three things that come together, three pieces of a puzzle that fall into place for him and come out in this declaration. The first thing is he knows who Jesus is now. Lord, he says, he doesn't say friend or teacher or Jesus. Lord, this is someone who has authority and a rule over him, someone he's going to submit to. And holy one of God, we have come to believe that you are the holy one of God. The disciples who remain with Jesus at this point have been with him for quite a while. They've seen plenty to convince them of his otherness. He's healed people, He's fed the people, He's demonstrated power over the natural world. He's changed water into wine and uh, walked on water. They've seen all these things, and they've been reminded of God's work in the past and the promises God made from the future, for the future, and they believe that He is from God. Well, as we go through these three pieces of the puzzle, I'm going to ask us some questions too. Who do? Say that Jesus is? Who do we say that Jesus is? Do Peter's insights into Jesus match our beliefs about him? It's important what we've learned from chapter 6 is that we receive Jesus on his own terms. If you're not sure that Jesus is Lord, someone to submit to, someone in authority, or the Holy One of God, the one that God has sent, then I want to encourage you to work it out. And the way to do it is to travel with those disciples again. They had that benefit of seeing all the things and hearing all the teachings. So to go into the Gospels and meet Jesus with them is the way to work this out. We're also going to offer the Alpha course you may have heard of in our church this year. And that's a really great place to ask these kinds of questions about who Jesus is. Um, In a group. So I encourage you to think about that. If, as you hear these questions, you're thinking, I'm not sure. Well, if and when we do come to this conclusion of Peter, then the next part, the next piece will follow. And I think this is a really exciting part because what happens in Peter is he's suddenly able to think really big now. You know, like when you're walking in the bush and it's, you know, walking along and it's nice, nice trees, look, there's a nice flower. There's a little animal. And suddenly you've been walking for a while and suddenly you come and you realise, actually you've been walking up a hill. It's been quite hard. And you have a magnificent view. You can see for miles. It's all worth it. Your perspective has suddenly changed. You've been looking like this and then you look out. This is what's happening for Peter in this moment. He's seeing things from a new and bigger perspective. In fact, he's starting to think and see things like Jesus does. He's thinking about eternal things. The ones who gave up on Jesus at this time, they were hoping for what Jesus could give them then and there, more bread, more miracles. But Peter and the other disciples, they're understanding that those are just signs that are pointing to something bigger, something eternal. And Jesus knows that this man, Jesus, Peter knows this man, Jesus, has words of eternal life. And Jesus hasn't even died yet and risen. It makes his insight, I think, really fantastic. It's a statement of faith. He already is hoping in Jesus for eternal life based on the words that Jesus has spoken to them. He really trusts him. And his imagination has been captured. Well, my question is do you think much about life after death? What's going to happen next? Some of us do more than others, I think. It depends. It depends, doesn't it? How distracted you are with life, maybe how old you are. What are the problems you're dealing with? How healthy are you? In our culture, though, I think we can avoid thinking about this for quite long stretches of time. In my experience, anyway, I can spend long stretches of time without contemplating my mortality, because we have resources to keep ourselves going fairly accessible, but not so in many times and parts of the world and even in our own country today. We are having a moment, I think, in Australia, though, aren't we, with the fires, where we're are collectively more aware that we're not in control, that our lives and our loved ones, our possessions, the earth that we walk on is more fragile than we had thought. And even though it may be frightening to remember that we're finite and creatures in a groaning world, acknowledging that we need restoration and hope for the future is not a bad thing. Maybe on the other note, do you think much about eternity? I reckon that the church has shied away a bit from talking about eternity. It used to happen more, I think. I wonder why that is. Because that's what we're on about, eternal life. This is what Jesus offers. This is what Peter recognises. You have the words of eternal life. What a beautiful, lofty, unimaginable idea. Is it because some um, just seems a bit silly to talk about? But if Jesus really does die and rise again and offer to take us into this new eternal life with him when the time comes, then this is the best thing, the thing we want to capture our imagination. I don't remember much about uh, what I learnt at school. I'm sure it's all there and shaped me one way or another, but I remember a Christian studies class when I was in Year 7. We had a visiting teacher. And he took a piece of chalk. And he went to the board. He said, this is your life. And he drew a line and another line and a line. He said, this is your life. Well, it could be a little bit longer if you live a long life or it might be a bit shorter depending on what happens. And then this is your life afterwards. And he took the piece of chalk and he drew to the end of the board. And then he kept going. And he walked all the way around the classroom, all the way around, and back again. And then he went again. He started, did stop it. He's not still going. But I was like, I was gobsmacked. First of all, because it was a good private girls' school, and you don't do that kind of thing. And he was actually drawing on our work. He was really trying to get our attention all around the board. But also because I thought, oh, I'd never really thought about it. My life now matters so much to me, but I need to think about what's going to happen if eternal life is a thing. Hoping vaguely for the best won't do, but hoping in Jesus is a better option. And I'm not saying that this life and this world don't matter because they really do. The life Jesus brings us begins now. To belong to Jesus is to get with his program now. But it doesn't mean experiencing all personal fulfilment and perfection in this lifetime. Life now in Jesus is about tasting and preparing and longing for the life to come. And if we develop our eternal perspective, if we allow ourselves to get excited about the future when Jesus restores all things and gathers us together, then it will change our perspective on this life too. Some things won't seem so important. Material possessions is probably the obvious thing. You can't take them with you when you go. But other things will become more important because if you capture the vision of eternity and eternal life that Jesus offers, it'll affect the way you think about the purpose of your life and the people around you and the mission of our community as God's people. Well, the third piece of the puzzle, Peter recognises that this Holy One of God, who has the words of eternal life, is the only way. Where are we to go, Lord? There's no alternative. He's out of options. Even on that day when they were feeling a bit down because everybody had disappeared. Having glimpsed the greatness of Jesus and what he's offering, he's not going to leave him, even in the tough time. There's nothing better out there. Is that how we see things? What brings us here today? I reckon there's a lot of reasons, but I'm going to go through a few of them. The first one is, is it friends and relationships? This is a good reason to come to church. There are some really nice people here. But you know what? There are other nice people meeting around in the coffee shop down the road, and so on. Coming for the people won't keep you with Jesus. Do you like the way we do things? I like the way we do things here. It's pretty relaxed. The music is great. It's some good teaching. The ideas are interesting. We live in, in north Melbourne. There's great music <laughs> everywhere. And some really interesting ideas. There's a guy who runs these lectures in his garage in my suburb. You know, you can go and get a lot of intellectual stimulation in all kinds of places. No, the thing that does bring us here is Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. Where else are we going to go? Jesus, you are the one, you are the thing that I'm holding on to and that we are called to keep the main thing. You know, we might struggle sometimes at church, might struggle sometimes to follow Jesus. But this eternal mission of Jesus is compelling and to be tied with him in it and together will keep us going. Well, we haven't looked at Jesus' response, have we, to what Peter says. Does Jesus ever say the thing you expect him to say when you read the Bible? I did not expect him to turn around and say this to Peter when Peter finally gets it. Have I not chosen you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? It's strange. It seems almost a bit like, don't get too big for your boots, Peter, or something like that. I don't think he's being harsh. Actually, I think when you consider the rest of Peter's story, this is a moment of grace from Jesus. This is a reminder to him. Yeah, you got it, you declared it, but it's still not about you. I brought you here, I invited you in, I've revealed myself to you. I am gracious to you, I love you. And one of you is a devil, he's talking about Judas, we're told he's talking about Judas, but Peter is also going to run away from Jesus in the time of his greatest need. Judas won't find his way back to Jesus, but I reckon Peter might remember that Jesus said this to him once he's denied Jesus once he's publicly said three times, I don't even know who that guy is, who they're going to kill. Because by the time Jesus rises from the dead, he's back. He's back with the disciples and he's the first one in the tomb. He knows who Jesus is. He knows what he's offering, but he also knows that he's incredibly kind and loving and gracious. And so I hope that as a community, we can capture this big vision that, Jesus, that Peter glimpsed, and that together as a community, we can encourage each other to keep lifting our gaze, looking out at that magnificent view and letting it shape us as we continue on together. You know, sometimes it's not easy to be a Christian, and you're going to struggle and you're going to have questions and doubts. We need to help each other, We need to help each other to keep going. There are things we're doing as a church which feel uncomfortable. At the moment, some of us are talking about reshaping community groups, Flick said before. I like being with my friends. You know, it's not easy always. But I've really been encouraged by people who've said to me, you know what, we need to do this because we need to welcome more people in to our church. That's lifting our gaze and going, yeah, we want to see God's kingdom grow because this is really important. Well, let me pray for us. Our loving, loving Heavenly Father, our gracious, loving Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Holy One, and we are so thankful that you came, that you died and rose again to bring us eternal life. Help us to grasp more of this and more of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.